Welcome back to the Commission Podcast and to our next episode where we talk with Tom Dowding out at the Bridge Battersea and now the Doddington Church Plant, which is going nearby. My name's Adam. I run the media and comms here at Commission, and I'm here with Perks, the director of church planting. Hey, Adam. Right. Doing fantastic. Yes, Summer sir. has arrived. Hasn't it? It has. Very enjoyable. The sun is out. My guns are out. <laughs> <laughs> Blue sky in London. Everything, everything's look, everything looks better in London with blue sky. A hundred percent. The city comes alive with the sun. Yeah. We're talking to Tom Dowding, Tom Maritasera, um, with a young, young Abigail. Um, I mean, he gives his own story, doesn't he? In the, uh, in the interview. So we don't want to say too much, but we, we're thinking about gospel ministry in a socioeconomically deprived area of South London. Um, so the, the Ethelberger estate and the Surrey Lane estate, initially where the British Battersea has been, um, with the potential to do something very exciting. The possibility of a revitalization on a nearby estate about 15 minutes away. Yeah. And we hope you enjoy the episode and we'll chat with you afterwards. Hi, Tom. Good to see you. Hi, folks. Good to see you. Yeah, likewise. For those of us who don't know you, give us a bit of personal background, family. Uh, yeah, I'm married to Sarah. We have a uh, seven-month-old daughter, Abigail, uh, 17th, which we knew very much about at 2 a.m. this morning. Wow. Seventh came through. I'm yeah. sorry. <laughs> those, those early years are grueling, aren't they? Physically <laughs> grueling, just they're wearying. They are. They're, they're wonderful as well. She's, she's such a joy. She's happy and healthy, and we, we're very thankful. Brilliant. And yeah. obviously conflicted because she's half Scottish and half English. She's, she's definitely more English. Is uh, she? Her mother knows that. She dresses up in England attire when England plays Scotland. And yeah, she's going to say that way, I think. Terrific. Where are you guys living at the moment? Yeah, so, so we live in Battersea, just off the estate. We're on a menacing on a council estate in Battersea. We're, we're right next to it. We, we were on it and then we had Abigail, so we had to slightly upsize. We're very much in the thick of things. We minister on a council estate, which is like many council estates in London, it's messy. It's got lots of different social issues. It's very multicultural, very multi-class. It's wonderful. We, we absolutely love living there. It's never a dull moment. And the two estates, give us a flavour there. What, how, what are we talking about in terms of population size on those two estates? Um, I don't know exact figures. I, it would be around 5,000, I'd thought. We're actually, we've, because our building has just been knocked down, our landlord's having it developed, we, we're now a three-minute walk away on Somerset Estate. So we've kind of splodged onto a third estate, which is, which is great. So we, in God's kindness, we weren't quite sure what was happening with the move. But since we have moved we're in a local school for Sundays for a little while, we've been able to reach more people. Um, it's, it's one of the amazing things and quirky things about council estates. They're very insular. Um, people don't often cross from one estate to the other, which means we, we were sort of ministering on Surrey Lane for 11 odd years. Since we've now moved, it's about a three minute walk from our old church building to the school where we're now at. And we've, we've never had anyone, we've never reached anyone from Somerset mm. because people just wouldn't have even known we're there. Yeah. Praise God. We're, we're now sort of there. We're meeting people on Somerset. Which is wonderful. Brilliant. I think if people met you or knew anything about you and your background, they might be surprised to find you where you are. Let, let's rewind the clock before we start talking about life and ministry on the estates. Tell us, first of all, how did you come to faith? Did you grow up in a Christian home? We went to a sort of parish CV church as a kid growing up. I don't think it was particularly sort of gospel focused. I don't think the word of God was central. I, I don't want to say that too much because I probably wasn't listening either way. I stopped going to church, I think, around about when I was sort of allowed to play rugby on Sundays instead. So that probably sort of 16, 17, sort of completely walked 
walked away from anything sort of Christian. And that continued through university, went to Exeter University, didn't go to church once. I think I would have said I'm a Christian because I'm quite a nice person, aren't I? And believe God probably is there and we pray before cricket that you don't get out first ball whatever but I uh, wasn't converted I went to New Zealand after uni to play rugby trying to pursue a rugby career that I thought might happen I was completely deluded and found out that all the more when I went to New Zealand but um you did set the bar high yeah well yeah I mean yeah. If, <laughs> I mean if you've gone to some other countries you yeah. might have found it easier but going yeah. to the one place in the world where you know they are exceptional yeah, yeah. some big guys over there as well yeah, yeah. whereabouts were you in New Zealand Christchurch yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, uh, but yeah, I, I yeah. So I went there, sort of wanting to think, let's go for rugby. Uh, as I said, I was I was deluded, but she had a history of lung problems. So on the on the way over there, I had a collapsed lung in the airplane, or partially collapsed lung in the airplane, which which meant I um I ended up staying in Singapore for three weeks. I do remember thinking on, on the plane because I'd had a history of them, and I knew if it happens on a plane, you're, you're, it's not in great shape because of pressure in the atmosphere. And I was, I do remember thinking if the other one goes, uh, I've got no lungs and. I think I do remember thinking, what happens if I die here? Um, so as a sort of arrogant young 21-year-old heading out, sort of wanting, thinking the world's at your feet. And um, that, that did really shake me up. I was all fine health-wise, went to, as I said, got down to Singapore, went to hospital, came out, but couldn't fly on. And again, in just God's amazing providence, I ended up staying with a, a friend of my uncle's. My uncle's not a Christian, but stayed with Christian Christian family out there. I just remember being very emotional because I, I went to church with him. Uh, I, hadn't at all planned on that before I left for New Zealand, but went to church because what else do you do when you're alone in Singapore for three weeks? And just remember sort of really uh, being emotional during the, the worship. I started sort of thinking a bit about Christian things and sort of the faith that I'd sort of walked away from from there uh, or from sort of earlier years. But that had very much cooled by the time I got to New Zealand. But uh, thankfully, and again, in God's kindness, I, I had emailed a pastor that my parents sort of minister had put me in touch with uh, before that my enthusiasm called. So he used to turn up at my house where I was at in Christchurch on Sundays. Um, I do, I, again, I still remember thinking, I really wish this guy would stop showing up. Um, and I gave every excuse on Sundays, but he, he just kept coming. Um, and in the process of that, I had sort of two, sort of uh, only two groups I knew. I knew, knew the rugby crew, knew the church people. Uh, rugby, I, I wasn't so much enjoying that when I was over there. Uh, certainly initially the church the christians just kept on inviting me for lunch inviting me for dinner and it gave me a real social hub which looking back on i think was really formative and it is still now because the reason i kept going to that church was because christians were lovely and invited me over and befriended me and gave me a sort of home away from home um, and kept me around long enough to start thinking or hearing the message long enough and i remember just in the space of a couple of weeks just from being completely unbothered about anything spiritual just then becoming deeply convicted about my sin and, and judgment. I just really remember thinking, I think what they're saying is true. I think I'm on the wrong side of this. And then just, I just remember a few nights of terror, actually, just real terror in my room, on my knees, just pleading, God, please make me a Christian. I don't really know what one is. Wow. Uh, I know I'm not one. Please make me one. J just real, real sort of conviction that that, that continued for months, actually. And obviously, it's slightly clearer on what a Christian is and pleading for grace and mercy and finding. It ultimately is uh, found in the Lord Jesus. So, and were you open about that with people in the church family, or were you still keeping that pretty private? I, I yeah, I don't think they would have known. Certainly initially, I think also because I thought I was going over thinking, of course I'm a Christian. I think God's probably there, and I'm quite nice, aren't I? Mm. So I think I'd have rocked up at church. I, I'm sure the the pastor um, probably thought differently, but I, but I think most of the sort of social 
crew didn't because I was just getting very involved in the church stuff and, and loving it as I said th- through a series season as well of real conviction the the minister there said do you want to sort of do a trainee thing sort of apprenticeship which which I really wanted to like I say I was, I was loving getting involved in church and wanted to know a lot more of the bible and it didn't I think it just didn't quite work out with family stuff back home something like that so he said okay well we know churches in London we know commission uh, so we can put you in touch with, with them uh, so that was I guess conversion and sort of first thinking around sort of ministry. So yeah. there's a couple of things I want to pick up on there. Mm. So those weeks and months of sort of terror, mm. realization mm. of sin and judgment mm. being on the wrong side. Mm. How did it happen that you recognised that grace and mercy was to be found in Christ? Mm. Was there one night where you sort of someone led you to Christ, or were you led to Christ mm. yeah. over time? Yeah, it was. It was over time. I, I um, I, yeah, I don't know the sort of the Rubicon moment or the crossing the Jordan moment. I, I do remember there are certain moments that I, I could look to and think, wow, that's yeah. amazing. God's grace. I, again, I, I think because I'd come from thinking, of course I'm a Christian because I'm, I'm nice and I'm British or whatever. I, I do remember thinking, well, it, I really swung from being completely nominal to thinking, okay, what must make me a Christian is doing all the Christian stuff. So just tried to do everything. And again, just to my horror, I realized that that makes things worse. Um, I often look back at, you know, Pilgrim's Progress when Pilgrim flees from the city of destruction and then he, he ends up going up, I can't remember what it's called, Moses Hill, something like that, basically saying he, he tries to flee by law. Yeah. And that was, again, that was, that was me. And I just found out to my dismay that my, my heart is horrible and I'm doing all these things and I can see it's all self-centered, self-preservation, whatever. Um, so yeah, I, I, don't, I don't know exact moments. I, I do remember just being comp- wonderfully lifted, sort of hearing Jesus saying, I didn't come for the healthy, but for the sick. Just remember thinking that is exactly what I need. Uh, yeah, other other moments. Isaiah forty three, I remember, was was a big one. Um, Isaiah says, basically, remember not the former things. Do not dwell in the past. See, I'm doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do not perceive it. Uh, I probably exegeted that passage completely wrong, but that was. Uh, I remember just thinking that's what's happening with me. Uh, God is doing a new thing with me. Um, as I said I'd go back now and wouldn't preach it that way, but that was what that I remember just being quite a sort of telling thing for me. It's a great encouragement mm. for those of us that are teaching the Bible week on week to just keep on teaching the Bible week on week, showing people Christ, showing people their need of sin, showing the Saviour, just spelling it out and just having confidence that God will bring people to himself through his word. Yeah, I should, I should have said a couple of other things as well. The, the pastor was meeting me week on week. I'm, I just used to have a load of questions. I used to write down a load of questions and we'd read the Bible together and answer my questions. And there was another wonderful guy who I'm still in touch with, a wonderful friend. Jason and his wife Svetlana over in New Zealand, who um, again they were sort of they would invite me <laughs> for lunch every Sunday and dinner through the week. And he, he was a guy again. He just loves the Lord Jesus, loves the lost, a real heart for people. Both of them actually kept on pointing me to Christ and kept on bringing me along with ministry stuff they were doing as well. Which again, I think had a real say in what I, what I went to do next because he, he was telling me do an apprenticeship. It doesn't mean you have to be a sort of Christian worker forever, but it, but it'd be a great sort of start in your Christian life. So you came back from New Zealand, mm, having mm. the rugby not quite having gone the way that you wanted it, you know, sort of this burgeoning um, professional <laughs> career burgeoning. was slightly on hold, <laughs> but you came back to do an apprenticeship, which obviously is the next best thing to, to do. Yeah. Um, so what, and were you placed at the bridge? Uh, yeah, I was put in touch with the bridge, I think through Christchurch Mayfair. I think my previous pastor in New Zealand put me in touch with them and they said, oh, there's an opening at bridge, which was a small sort of council estate church led by Jason Roach. Again, I, I was probably a real sort of burden and drain on, on them because I was, I'd only been a Christian a few months. I, um, 
didn't know anything. I didn't know anything contextually either. I, it wasn't like I'd had a, a big, as I said, I, I'm middle-class background in well, Wexford uh, University. I and, mean, yeah, I mean, yeah. I, I, I suspect most of us have picked up on that by now just listening to you. But I mean, you, culturally, you are very different. Mm, mm. So, you know, as you say, middle-class boy who's already talked about praying before he goes to play cricket, mm. playing rugby. Yeah. Extra university educated, it, you know, we'd expect to find you in Teddington or, you know, or Fulham, <laughs> yeah. not, not in a state in, mm. in Battersea. Mm. So, yeah. Why there then? The reason I was there was, was because, mainly because of this guy, Jason and Svetlana, who, who mm. they, they were very involved with this community outreach in Christchurch and a sort of Maori community there, particularly with people who historically would not have gone to the, the sort of main church. Yeah. They, they, they just contextually very different uh, backgrounds, but I, I'd do the bread run with Jason. He, he'd sort of go to bakery and then drop bread off and I'd see people's, I'd, he'd invite me in or they'd invite us in and we'd, we saw the local sort of kids who often rough, rough backgrounds and rough family situations back home. So, so that was the reason, but, but I didn't particularly know that was a different thing. I thought that's just what Christians do. And, <laughs> but I think that was the reason um, I was then put in touch saying, or with the church in London, people saying, um, oh, he's got a heart for this sort of ministry, which I, I don't think I particularly did. I think that was just what I did because I thought I'd got, I got invited along and said I would do. So I, I don't think I, even as I started the bridge, thought this is me, uh, this is exactly what I want to be doing for my life. Let's go through that. So what do you do? Do you do a two-year apprenticeship there? So yeah, I did two years of apprenticeship where I was very much of learning the ropes. Then I sort of moved into two, two or three years of family and youth worker and then a couple of years, I think, as associate pastor and now lead pastor. Um, one of the things we haven't talked about is how you found yourself being in the senior pastor role because of Jason of course has gone off to be the director of ministries for London City Mission which is a great job for him and and brilliant for them as well so how did that happen how did that come about I was assistant pastor associate pastor for a couple of years and the plan was to go to a theological college in September 2021 but uh, as you said J Jason uh, had this opportunity to come up which is he is perfect for, I mean, he's, I'm sure he's doing an amazing job he's, uh, at LCM. He's still, he's still on uh, eldership at the bridge. They're still there, which is great. There's such a bedrock of the church under God. But uh, yeah, so, so I, Jason asked me in sort of around that summer, I guess, whether I'd consider leading church moving forward. Uh, our elders talked about it and prayed about it and scraped the barrel and I came out at the bottom. Um, which is which is which I've loved. Uh, God, in His wisdom, made sure I was married a few months earlier. And Sarah's amazing. That there's nowhere better do that without her. But um, so but we love it. It keeps us busy, and uh, all the more so with Abigail now. But but we really enjoy it. And I've I've been wonderfully blessed with, with our congregation, our elders, and our guys who are um, just wonderful examples of of ministry and servant heartedness. Yeah which uh, is exciting to, to live amongst and work amongst. So what, what was it about that context that convinced you to stay? Being at the bridge was brilliant. Because we are small and the leadership team was small, it meant I was sort of able to do lots of things that I wouldn't have been able to do if I was in a bigger church, which, which meant sort of obviously kid stuff and learning at workshop and shadowing Jason for a few things. But, but also I, just probably from sort of start of the second year onwards, I used to do a lot of door knocking. I think that probably came from my, my conversion was was uh, that sort of few months where I was basically the only thing that matters in my life is I need to be saved. Um, I think that that in God's kindness did sort of lay foundations of 
if that's true for me, that's true for everyone else as well. So, that, so then when I was starting as an apprentice, I think evangelism was, was just a real sort of burden. So I, I was keen to get out door knocking and enjoyed that. It can be a thankless task, but, but I think through that, you, you, I, I was just able to see lots of people's lives. You, you just, you're walking up tower blocks and you see, as we've said, people who, who are not from my background, but, but people who become friends, uh, people you, you see, you see the, the toughness, you see the, the devastation and the sadness and the, the brokenness and depravity. Um, I, I think that, that did give me a real heart to think we desperately need to find ways that the gospel is getting to these power blocks. And I think from that as well, just learning a bit more about the, the sort of scene in UK, the, the we're, we're very, very middle class uh, as evangelicals, um, obviously wonderful, wonderful churches. But I, I think that, that as I started to see that that is not a, well, this is a mission field that is, is really unreached, actually, if we're thinking about this of Council of States of London and, and, and further afield. I think that that grew a heart, but both knowing this a bigger context, but also just seeing real people and their real lives and, and reading Luke's gospel and seeing we, we have good news for the poor and we have to find ways of, of getting it out there. So I think, I think that probably, that was a season and that continues to grow. I think sort of thinking we have to find ways of getting the gospel uh, to areas uh, in London that, that historically, or even in the last few decades, just are not being reached. So you, you've touched on the disproportionate mm. involvement of evangelicals in middle-class contexts mm. and certainly in our lifetime, the apparent neglect or overlooking of socioeconomically deprived communities. Do you want to say a bit more about that? Uh, of course, every area is under each of the gospel, isn't it? Or every people group. Just statistically, it's, it's worth bearing in mind there is, a, there is a massive, massive scarcity of the gospel intentionally going to places of deprivation. There's 35,000 areas that are sort of termed deprived across the UK. So council estates in London or schemes in Scotland or valleys in Wales. And of those 35,000 areas, uh, there's under 100 churches intentionally reaching them with the gospel. So these are areas where there's hundreds, thousands, 10,000 people in. Do you say 35,000? Uh, 35,000. So and that's less than 100 yeah, churches. Yeah. So that, I mean, that's an unreached people group in a yeah. sense. Um, again, another sort of survey that I, I try and tell everyone about this. It was a, the Talking Jesus survey that uh, some a group did a, a while ago that said 29% uh, of people in the UK have university degrees uh, and of in our evangelical churches, 81% of people have university degrees. So, so we're reaching the tertiary, tertiary educated people and that means evangelism happens with the friends of tertiary educated people and that means ministry models and discipleship is, is sort of staying in that incubator. Um, again, we need more of that. We desperately need more of that. But it, but it is just worth knowing the state on the ground is we have a massive, massive need for workers and churches intentionally thinking, how do I reach uh, council states in London and Bradford and the sort of migrant communities and uh, areas that, that um, are massively underreached by evangelicalism? So give us a flavour then of what it's like to do gospel ministry in that context. Mm. What is proclaiming the gospel, what mm. does bringing people to faith in Christ, what does discipling people look like mm. in the mm. context that you're in? Of course, the, the centralities have to say central. So we, we preach the gospel, we pray, we try and love each other. It is something that we, we do need to think carefully about. And I, I think this is where I've had to sort of really <laughs> change. As I guess doing my training and reading books on evangelism and hearing from people who with sort of more middle class models, which just <laughs> became more clear that, that I think as I've sort of 
failing that that needs to sort of change, um, or or how I would think about things, or how we think about things needs to change. And like I say, Jason Roach as the as pastor was was really helpful and helped me see that. But I think I was probably quite slow in seeing that as well. For instance, we've got guys in our congregation just reading is not great, so a sort of normal home group just wouldn't be accessible that you'd have some people who'd be great at it some people who love that sort of thing uh, others it isn't a thing that they'd be able to sort of join in with and, and you can you really want to push against seeing this as well providing things that people wouldn't be able to engage with and, and sort of saying you've got to assimilate to a middle class culture to be a christian we want we really need to sort of avoid that so this week i've i've done what i've done for six years with one guy he's um or a couple of guys we have cheese on toast and we 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 read the bible together um read through mark's gospel um which we've done before and we've come we've come around it again but they're guys who've, who've spent a lot of time in prison um that they wouldn't be able to i guess fit in lots of the sort of normal streams that discipleship would look like in evangelical churches they're, they're wonderful christians that the lord has saved one of them in recent years, the other one was baptized last year at our church. So wonderful Christians. It just looks a bit different. And I think loving people looks different, doesn't it? In the sense that whichever context you're in, you know, our responsibility is to love one another. Mm. But loving one another in a socioeconomically deprived context is just a bit more hands-on, a bit more all-in. Would mm. I be right on that? I mean, it's not to diminish the personal care needs of people in middle-class mm. contexts, mm. but a dysfunctional life can look a bit more messy mm, mm. in a deprived context. Am I on the right lines there oh, at yeah, all? absolutely. It's, I don't want um, to fall into caricatures. No, no. As we said, <laughs> all of our lives are messy and yeah. all of our lives are broken. Um, but uh, yeah, we, we've, an, an example would be, we have a sort of a community cafe that we do every Monday morning. It's came out of sort of COVID and people needing a food bank on our estate because the free school meals weren't happening and their pe- kids were going hungry. So, so, that that morphed into sort of a, a cafe with Bible study and that sort of thing, but uh, and it, it makes us laugh as staff sometimes. That there was there was times when that we'd have sort of thirty or forty people coming to that, probably thirty more than forty, but and, and you'd have sort of three or four blow ups going on at any one time with uh, beef that has come from the estate into our group. At one point, there was sort of only a couple of us as sort of. Christians who are there, who, who you can only put out two fires at one point, and there's four of them going on. So there's there is um yeah, lives are messy, lives are broken. There is there is depravity. I think it it also means with sort of yeah, let, let's say reading the Bible with someone, it, it it does look different because often we'd we'd think, and I think I so said this is the sort of ministry model that I assumed you'd you'd meet up and cost of coffee and you'd, you'd read three Colossians and find out the big idea and melodic line and happy day sort of thing. This has been sort of a lot of my ministry in the last few years and certainly Rachel, our woman's worker as well. You'll, you'll be going to read the Bible with someone and you have to do that and you have to keep that central, but but they've also got chronic anxiety because they haven't paid their bills for weeks and the gas meter has run out or fear for their son who's got involved with a gang or, or those sort of things. So it, it has to... <laughs> I don't think that's doing anything different to what gospel ministry is meant to do, which is where you're you're loving people and you're walking alongside people. But I, I guess it would be true to say sometimes uh, trying to walk through life issues does look different. It does it, it does need a lot of intentional thinking. Uh, we need to safeguard actually making sure the word saves priority and prayer saves priority and people are being discipled. But you, you just couldn't just say, don't worry that you haven't got electric this week or don't worry that the, you're sort of the council banging your door saying you're going to be evicted if you don't pay your rent. I mean, you, you just have to help people, which, which again, there's lots of things to say about that, which means our deacons are 
wonderful, amazing, trying to think through how to help. And there just needs a lot of thinking, what does it look to, like to love people so that they're able to flourish? Give us a taste then of how you've seen the gospel impact mm. people, mm. Um, the community. How, how has God worked to bring change in the midst of all this chaos and disorder? Firstly, it is awesome. I mean, the Lord is so kind in, in encouraging us and showing us that his gospel is the power of God to save. I mean, there are stories, if that's what you're thinking. I, there's a guy, I, always, I think it was maybe my most encouraging one, a guy called Tomo, who I, I first got to know ages ago, probably five years ago, six years ago, something like that. And he was totally hardened to anything Christian. He was a, he was a tough guy. He, <laughs> so uh, I do remember one of the first times he came, we had a men's pine night and he came to our men's pine night and just as I was walking past his his table, he was finishing his story and he's, he's, his punchline for his story was, uh, so I broke both his legs. He's a guy from, <laughs> guy from Gloucester. And um, he, I mean, I mean, there's a lot of Is stories. West like Country that. accent. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You can tell I live next to Yeah. Uh, so he, I mean, there's a lot of stories like that. He yeah. was, he was, he loved telling stories. Um, the only time he wouldn't want to speak was if he brought up anything Christian, anything spiritual. He was a guy on his own, 80 something with health problems, which meant he didn't go out much, so he was happy for me to be going round. Again, I, I've, I definitely had moments where I thought there's no point in me going round anymore because he, he's not interested in this stuff, and you've only got so much time. But, but I, I think just in different ways, we got to know his partner a bit. Uh, he just sort of stayed on the radar because he, he'd come to Men's Pie Night or he'd have some sort of health issue that I'd then go around and chat to him about. But it was in, I think it was in 2020, where obviously COVID's kicking off. He had a a real sort of, he had six weeks um, in hospital with a, with a lung problem. This is after years of me trying to s share the gospel with him and, or others actually as well, um, and coming to Pi Night and whatever. But um, he, he came out of that. He came out of hospital saying, um, again, this is the most self-sufficient guy, who, toughest guy you'd, you'd ever meet. He came out of it saying, I, th I was terrified of dying. I mean, right. and he'd always said to me, I'm not scared of dying. And yet he came out having really, really sort of been rattled by that. And actually, <laughs> and this is the amazing thing that it actually only came out a few, few weeks ago. He, he said, I realized that I think, I think Jesus is Lord. Wow. Which, which again, his, I don't know how he got to that. It was, it was only from, it wasn't, he didn't hear, hear the gospel in there. So it's just sort of some stuff that he'd um, heard previously, but um, his outcome from that was, was not, uh, I need forgiveness, <laughs> which, but clearly obviously, God's spirit was at work, but, um, he was, uh, just very, from there, very keen to read with me and very keen to chat uh, the gospel with others. He started being wheeled to, uh, church and his, in his wheelchair. That was the only time he got out during COVID season when we had all our restrictions. But, um, uh, he, he then, uh, I remember just, he rang me one Monday mornings, just after lots of, sort of pleading with him saying, Tomo, you need mercy, you need forgiveness, you need to come to Jesus and him saying, I'm sort of batting it away, but clearly sort of struck, um, and um, I just still remember one Monday morning, he r rang me saying, I'm, I'm in hospital again. And, and they've, they've said, I, I, um, I can't, um, I'm having a procedure on Wednesday and they've given me a do not resuscitate and I probably won't make it sort of thing. Uh -huh. um, but, but he said, I, but I did it. And I said, well, what did you do? And he, and he, he, he said 4am that morning, he'd, he'd turned to Jesus for forgiveness. Uh -huh which is just obviously praise the Lord. That, that is his spirit doing a miracle in someone who's so hardened. Yeah. <laughs> after that, it's, it's almost sort of funny what's happened after that because he was in hospital with a, with a lung issue in a COVID ward. Uh, I tried to go and see him 
but couldn't get in because it was a COVID ward. It was a, it was a sort of lung ward over in Chester, Westminster. I mentioned I, I had a history of lung problems. And then so a couple of weeks later, I had a collapsed lung. And um, who do I get put in a bed a couple of doors down? <laughs> it's Tomo. Um, so I wasn't allowed in initially. So the Lord collapsed, wow. collapsed my lung. So That's I was able to go and see him. Um, I was able to get him a copy of Psalm 23, which he really clung to for a few weeks. Mm. The nurses tried to take it away. Um, he didn't let them. He's, he'd be showing his friends and family when they came in. He was trying to teach it to his, his nurses. And he was then let out for some palliative care. And um, his partner rang me one morning saying he'd, he'd died. But she said the night he died, he'd, he'd taken his copy of Psalm 23 up to bed with him. So it was just the most remarkable change from a guy who was the most hardened man. And yet gospel was the God, God's power to save him. It, it did save him. He's in glory now with his shepherd. He's going to dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And stories like that keep you going because there's a lot of people who, that doesn't happen, but it's just thrills me to think that. And, and um, it does keep you going. Uh, there's yeah, other, other messy lives and other messy stories you can go into, but he's one who, that thrills me. That is wonderful. Mm-hmm. Praise God. Fantastic. Which might explain why you guys are willing to do it all over again, um, because there's a new minister opportunity that you're exploring as an eldership, as a church family. Why don't you tell us about that? Yeah. So, so we, um, as the bridge, we, we, we were asked, uh, or, or I guess contacted at, uh, probably about a year ago from now. So back in 2022 by, um, Alex Lyle, who's another commission pastor who'd, who'd heard, I think basically a friend of a friend had said, um, there's a church in Battersea that's looking for a su- succession plan. Um, and he contacted me, I think, because he was thinking, well, you guys are out of a building, aren't you? And do you want a building or do you, would you be interested in me putting you in touch? So, so that, that started a conversation with, with, um, a guy, uh, on a local estate who's a pastor. He's in his sixties, him and his wife have been ministering there for 30 odd years, um, uh, on a, yeah, on a nearby estate and very much aging congregation. Uh, they, they love the Lord, but, but they've been, uh, dwindling size-wise, I think COVID really smashed them uh, in terms of people moving away or people passing away. And they're, they're now, they've been now sort of, I guess, 12 or 15 people on a Sunday um, aware that they're all 55, 60 plus by and large in terms of the core. They don't think leadership is going to come from within. They, they're not sort of, uh, they're not particularly sort of reaching out sort of evangelism-wise. They don't have the capacity or the energy. Um, so, so that started a conversation with, with he and I that, that went on for, a, has, or has been going on for a year. It's, um, I think it's fair to say we're, we're very different theologically. Uh, we're both aware of that. We, we've disagreed on things. Um, he's wonderful. They're, they're wonderful. They've, they've been loving and patient with me, but uh, yeah, so, so f- that is, that sort of started, I guess, exploring, uh, whether there is a way that we, as the bridge could lead a sort of, uh, a church graft or a church revitalization in that area. Again, it's, it's an area very similar to, to, uh, Surrey Lane and Ethelberger estate. It's, it's a, it's a church building in the middle of, uh, sort of two estates, 5,000 people at least around, uh, to really sort of cramped, uh, so, so that's, a, that's not a big area geographically, but, but sort of tower blocks sort of stacked up. Uh, and again, uh, from what we can tell, I don't think the gospel particularly reaching that again, I don't know everything the Lord is doing. Um, but uh, we'd have a big, and they would have a big sort of uh, West African, North African population. There'd be historically, it'd be white working class and Caribbean, so Windrush generation. There'd be now more uh, Eastern Europeans moving in, so diverse, 
younger generation would be largely Muslim, so the local school is is largely Muslim, majority Muslim school. Uh, uh, the lo- local primary school. Yeah, yeah, yeah Somali uh, population largely. So diverse. Um, again, the usual issues. It's had a number of um, uh, horrible things happen there over the last few years, but um, again, God and His kindness has has really opened this opportunity for the gospel. Because like I say, it, there have been lots of times where I thought this actually, this might not work with us because we, we are very different theologically. We, we, we get on well, but, but you need more than that. <laughs> um, but um, the, the Lord has kept surprising me and kept opening doors to get to the place now where um, there is a sort of revitalization plan in place. Um, from September, we're, we're, God willing, hoping to be leading services there, leading ministry there. And again, they've been very gracious in saying, um, we want to step aside because they, I think they, they like the fact that we are a church for estates, we're deliberately for estates, we're, we're intentional about that. That doesn't mean, by the way, we're only for people who live on the estate or we're only for working class or benefits class people because we, we, at the bridge, we, we really believe and think from, look at Ephesians 3, God's wisdom is made known to them rulers and authorities in heavenly places by a, a diverse church, Jew and Gentile coming together as one under the cross, loving each other. So that, that's, that's we're passionate about for that. So I, I think one of the things that Brian would say as the pastor of that church, he, like you, would say there are theological differences, but I think there's been a real generosity and I think there's real gospel centrality. In other words, he, he said, he, the thing he said to me was looking, was just observing the integrity of the ministry that you and Jason and the team at the bridge have exercised over a number of years. In other words, you want to reach unbelievers with the gospel. You want to love them and serve them and disciple them. And he thinks that's what I want here. That's what we've given our lives to. There, there, there are going to be some theological differences, but at the heart, he wants to see people reach with the good news of the gospel and disciple through, through, the, through the rest of life. And he's thinking, you guys have done that faithfully and you've done that well. And in one sense, he can live, it seems to me, with one or two of the sort of theological differences because he just, he thinks, I actually want what those guys are doing here. I don't want my work to be wasted. I want it to, to keep on going. I think it's hugely encouraging. What is the proposal then at the moment? What are you guys thinking? Because obviously you're involved, the senior pastor at the bridge, having taken over from Jason, you've got a team of elders there, some deacons and a congregation that needs looking that is it's a demanding context. It's a demanding ministry context. You're, you're married with a small child what, and yet here is this other opportunity. It just, it looks like a gift horse. You didn't want to look it in the mouth. So what, what's the proposal? What are you guys thinking? Um, yeah, like, like you say, it, it, it was, a, a, I think it was, it was such a, a wonderful opportunity to think, as I said, because I have a burden and we have a burden as a church to think we, the gospel has to be reaching uh, states across London because this was it was an opportunity that we didn't go looking for but it, it came to us in, in God's providence we we, uh, we started thinking how, how do we how might we go about doing it uh, initially I think the, Alex Lyle who put us in touch thought do you want to move your church there and actually that was what past, the pastor Brian and his wife Joanna were wondering um, we, we don't want to move our church there to merge although that would uh, <laughs> might, might have made things easier Mainly because we'd we'd lose a mission field. As I said, estates are so insular. Our, our guys would not. I mean, 
people don't walk 15 minutes to get to another estate. They don't even know what's going on in other estates. It might as well be in East London. For all, I mean, you, you wouldn't necessarily mix, especially with youth, actually. That, that's where trouble could arise. But, but also because we've got a number in our congregation who are sort of vulnerable, wouldn't particularly be able to walk um, that far or wheelchairs or whatever. So, so we thought let's not move our whole church there. So we've been exploring, because we have an afternoon service, uh, they have a morning service, uh, how could we use economies of scale to effectively sort of have a, a morning service and an afternoon service that we'd be running. Uh, you've got different teams who could work in the uh, morning and afternoon. We wouldn't need to take a whole kids team over because they'd have some volunteers who could, we could use for that. So, so we think how we're going to run it is, as I said, we'd be leading, they want us to lead, we'd be preaching. But now my, my sort of, what I'm trying to spend the next few months is thinking, how can we find people across London, I guess, particularly co-mission guys who, who know exactly what, what it is we're trying to do. How, uh, can we have people coming over, people coming either to invest in the church saying, this is, this is my church, this is where I I'm, I'm have a heart for, where I'm going to see myself for the next while. But also people from uh, evening services, uh, other churches who'd think, actually, I could be a bum on seat here for a while. Just, uh, I think you put it to me before, you don't want to sort of, you want to be showing that there is something happening here. We don't want a big grafting team because we don't want the whole culture of the church to be changed. I think yeah. Jason, when he led the church plant on Surrey Lane Estate, I think they started with seven people. So I think that's a deliberate thing because you don't want to sort of have a, a very different culture coming in. But um, so, so we think we're probably aim because they have about 12 to 15 uh, as a sort of core who'd be there on Sundays, but we're aiming for sort of even 10 to 15. So you, you keep something of the sort of people, the demographic who are already in the church, but, but there is hopefully God willing, there'll be more youth, there'll be young families, there'll be more energy to, to be able to lead ministries and run ministries. So, so I'm, I'm thinking, what can I find some people? Wonderfully, God has, God has raised up some people, wonderful couple who uh, have already said, said they'll be, they'll get stuck in and, and there are others who are uh, sort of given some levels of commitment and I, I'm looking for someone as well who'd be able to work there um, that, that isn't going to be a lead pastor straight away uh, it's someone who's going to come on our sort of bridge staff team but someone who could run ministries ideally sort of evangelism community evangelism door knocking as I said because there are I mean there are 5,000 people around there there are hundreds and thousands of Tomos <laughs> there are people who are in, the, in their tower blocks not being reached any other way and we want we don't want to just a, a stagnant group coming over but actually no, no new ministry happening so we're trying to think about around how, how we'd go about that and trying to find someone who can employ for that yeah brilliant and i mean there's wisdom in that isn't there in, in that um that whoever goes there can be part of your staff team can learn from the wisdom that's that's there in your staff team or our mistakes yeah yeah i mean yeah 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 yeah, yeah. We've often said that with church planting, isn't it? We we don't really know what we're doing, but we know what doesn't work and the mistakes we've made. So as long as you avoid those, you'll be doing better than we did. Um, but also just the mutual encouragement and the sense of, actually, I'm in a situation here, I don't know what to do. I, I want to work that out with someone. That feeling of, I'm not isolated, I'm not on my own, I'm actually part of a team. So I, it, I think it's really significant what you guys are doing and watching what that might look like, a kind of multi-site which, which makes a good use of resources where you are. And just in terms of resources, I guess, I'm guessing you're after the, the, the two. You've touched on one, human resources, secondly, financial resources. But the human resources, that kind of, that sort of um, the SWAT team, the servants willing and temporary, you're looking for people who, who can come and be involved and not necessarily be their main congregation, but just, you know, kickstart a work 
Um, and financially, are you guys well placed? Are you, you know, is historic reserves mean that you don't need to fundraise? I mean, almost sort of unusually, that that is the case initially. That there is a there is a kitty we think that could be put towards this. It won't be, I presume. I don't know their finances all that well. Um, it won't be self-sustaining for long. Um, so we we um, yeah, we'll need to think where is funding coming from at some point. God is very kind, and, and in the, he's he's always sort of at the bridge, has provided through wonderful sort of Christians across London and further afield who are, have a heart for what we're doing so trustee will provide and it's a great blessing to see that yeah mm. yeah, yeah it's worth reminding ourselves you know all ministry needs funding all ministry needs funding and those of us who end up working in middle class contexts we can find that funding internally but guys like you who are in the situations you are wh- whose ministries are every bit as commendable as those in ministry in middle class contexts you don't have the luxury of being able to find that funding internally but it still needs funding. So yeah, one, it's wonderful that your testimony is that God has provided and may carry on doing so because I, th- I think what you guys are doing at Dorrington is fantastic. I think it's, it's, th- it's thrilling. So I want to ask you two things. Let me go first with this. How can we who are listening mm. help you at the bridge make this happen? Um, we need God's grace. So we, we'd love people praying. We would love for people to think have I got space or capacity on a Sunday morning to think if I, if I join or if I come and sit on a seat for a couple of hours, obviously listening and praying and worshiping, hopefully on a Sunday morning, I mean, that, that sort of thing will, will get this off the ground under God. So, um, I'd love for people to think, um, because the gospel desperately needs to get to this area because it it desperately needs a, a church reaching the nations for Christ. <laughs> we're not the only ones who could do that, but God has put this in our lap. And so we, we, we're trying to think carefully how, how we could do that. But we as, we as, as the bridge are just not big enough. We, we are all the sort of the core are on five rotors already. So we're not thinking we can send a big grafting team over. So, I mean, some people double up, but uh, we'd, we'd love people to think, is this the sort of thing they could, they could get involved with? Is this the sort of thing they could come and um, sit in on? Of course, or, or commit to. Obviously, they, they need to chat to the pastor. We've mentioned that there's, uh, there's guys coming along already. And I think they've said, and, and I think well, this, is, this is wonderful to hear, but, but they've said, if, if we leave our church, there's lots of other people like us who could do similar things. But them coming to, to Doddington is, is massive. I mean, they, 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 they're, they're game changers. And if there are more like that, in terms of what they can contribute. Yeah, in terms of... The skills that God has given them in the past. Yes. In the yeah. experience that they've got. Yes. yes. Yeah. So pray, join. So one, one thing, you could come, explore the possibility of, of, of coming and supporting. Secondly, pray. So how can, how can we pray for, for you and what the proposal is there? Yeah, thank you. The, um, I keep coming back to this, but it, there is... Um, these are familiar verses to us, but, but Jesus in Matthew chapter nine, he sees it, he sees a crowd and he's, he has deep compassion. He hurts for them. He feels for them because he looks at them and he sees these are people who are harassed and helpless and sheep without shepherd. And so he turns his disciples and says, pray, call on your, call on the Lord of the harvest to send workers to the harvest fields. And, and that, that is, that is, gives me great confidence. Actually. I love that prayer. I love that. That is what Jesus says, because I was walking past Doddington estate yesterday and there are, as you said, these cramped tower blocks and you, you look at them and you think, I mean, I know something of what will be going in there 
going on there in the, those rooms and those lives because it'll be similar to what's going on in, in our in our estate. These are these are sheep harassed and helpless. They desperately need the gospel. So we'd love people praying, send workers to Harvest Fields, Lord. We, we know this is what He is has a heart for. He is compassionate for these guys. Ask Him to do what He wants to do, which is that His kingdom might advance, that His gospel might advance, that people might be brought into the party of heaven. So please pray for that. And obviously into that as well. If you're asking and praying for workers to harvest fields, Jesus in Matthew chapter nine says, ask for more workers. And then he tells those guys who gets praying in Matthew chapter 10, he tells them, okay, you go and do it now. So I'd, I'd love to think if there are people listening who think this is, this is, would be a good idea. This is, it's good that the gospel is reaching this sort of area. Please pray for us. But also perhaps think, could this be me? Um, could I have a Sunday morning where I'm giving up a couple of hours uh, to come and get stuck in. Because as I said, that it, this will happen. This will fly if people come. Uh, we, we as the church are not big enough to send a big grafting team. The people are already sort of core guys are already on five rotors. So we, we don't have capacity to send a big grafting team from the bridge. But there will be others who, who might think, actually, we've got, um, we've got space on a Sunday morning. Or, or we, we, we like the sound of this. Um, and I'd love to think if there are people there, please, please pray, speak to your pastor. But um, we'd love to think, and I'm sure that there are, there are wonderful, wonderful servants across London who, who would be a massive blessing, it would be the difference between a church reaching the nations around here happening and not. So we'd love people praying and considering whether this could be them. Yeah, fantastic. And I'd, I'd add a third thing in as well, I think, which is presumably potentially uh, financial um, resources would be well used in that environment. I mean, if you're going to get someone else on staff to come and be a sort of campus type or estate type pastor, they're not going to be cheap. Um, and and so I guess another an, a, a, the one thing I'd add to praying potentially coming is also giving. Um, and there'd be ways to do that um, through your website. Yeah, um, yeah, they could email email the bridge church or email me we'll put all the socials in the show notes um so people can pick up on that tom thank you it's thrilling i i am behind you guys i'd love to see this happen you're wonderful thanks no no worries you reflect on the conversation you just think there are a number of times where if tom had done something else you'd have ended up with a very different outcome yep and and the the idea that god's sovereignty is writ large over the over the story what's he doing going to new zealand what's he doing with a collapsed lung what's he doing being involved with jason and svetlana in in a ministry to maoris rather than only being involved in the sort of the big established anglican church but he's just he's just all over it he's just been all in and i mean just looking at what he's done a couple of years as a ministry trainee there a couple of years as a sort of family's uh, worker, community evangelist, a couple of years as an associate pastor, and now the senior pastor, mm. and um, suspending his theological training for a bit in order to to pursue this. And you just think that this, God has sovereignly put this guy right there for a reason. Mm. And you think it might not have been that. It, you know, for example, if Mayfair had said, this guy's got real potential, we are, you know, we're not letting him go. Uh, not in a selfish way. It's just you think, okay, this is, here is a ministry multiplier. Let's get this guy, let's train him, send him off to college, get him back or whatever. Mm. Whereas actually they were generous hearted and said, actually, there's a real need at the bridge, get involved there. And 
and and they're all in. I mean, Thomas Sarah mm-hmm. are, are all in. The other the other thing I'll say too, it seemed like, you know, he was worried about just being a burden on that on the Bridge Battersea team, but was really able to get stuck in well and really benefited from Jason's leadership and guidance yeah. in in that specific ministry context. Yeah, experience of doing ministry for estate churches, working class, not your typical middle class ministry uh, culture. Yeah. And there's humility there, isn't there? I mean, he, Tom must, must be acutely aware of the advantages that he's been given and yeah. the exposure he's been given to things like a t- tertiary education. And yet there's a humility that says, uh, I might be, I might be a bit of a drag on the ticket here. I'm a mm. bit, I might be a bit of a burden. I don't, I don't know stuff, but at least he, at least he knew what he didn't know. It goes in with a posture of humility and a yeah. desire to learn. Yeah. That, that's the attitude we should all go on with. I'm sure that's yeah. right. We're getting a chance in this episode to see a church plant before it's actually even been launched in this, in this situation where some yeah. of the previous episodes we've done sort of a post-op. This has just been approved by their trustees yeah. to be launching in September 23. Mm. Uh, what are the considerations at this stage in church planning for a team? Uh, Tom spoke some about that, some of that himself. We've talked in the past about having a solid church planning team. Mm. But in this case, not wanting to have too strong of a team where that overwhelms the culture yeah. of a church that already exists. Yeah. yeah, look, you've touched on it there, haven't you? I think the first thing we want to say is we want to honour the ministry of Brian and Joanna and the team there for years. Um, there, there has been a functioning church there that, that, that grew, mm. uh, has, for various reasons, declined in recent years, but there is a church there. It's not like God has not been at work in that midst. And I think it's a significant thing, isn't it, to that the team from the bridge are going to go into that wanting to honour what's happened in the past mm. as they plan for the future. Um, I think there's real wisdom, isn't there, hearing Tom talk about not wanting to drown an existing culture with a different culture, particularly exactly. if, I mean, the team he's looking, he wants people who have got uh, resources, who can come in with, with skills uh, in order to contribute. And I think Tom is realistic and, and recognises that some of the people who might need to double up uh, involved in evening congregations uh, would come in. But if you have too many of those, what you end up with is just a very different culture, big old yep. culture clash, the danger of implying that there needs to be sort of cultural assimilation. And he's just wanting to say, actually, there is a, there, there's a culture on this estate. We need to find out what it is. We want to mm. need to work with it. We can't drown it. Um, but let's, let's strengthen it because the, the, part of the reason the church has declined is because there, isn't, there aren't the, the human resources. They haven't got everything. Mm. They're, they're, they're committed to praying. They're committed to try and recruiting people. But they're kind of the people to how do we run church? How do we run a kid's work? How do we get the music up and mm. running? What about setting up church, um, putting it down? I mean, once it's, it's advantageous, they've, they've got a building. But they're also wanting to do, be intentional. The 5,000 people who live there, they're thinking, okay, how do we reach these people with the gospel? How do we, how do we let them know that we're, we're here, we're here for them? How do we build relationships meaningfully? So um, all of that is all, is, they're at the early stages and they're going to have to try and figure that out and, yeah, yeah. and recruit help. Yeah. I suppose a few examples of what they're trying to do, sort of re-engaging the community and boots on ground kind of, evangelistic door-to-door. That's where he got his start in. Yeah. Door-to-door evangelism, getting involved in the community. It's not just we provide church, come along to Bible study. 
it's getting involved in people's lives. Yeah. As he says, even if it's messy. Yeah. Uh, it's, I can't pay my electric bill this month. You know, it's yeah. getting involved a bit more than just sort of in conversation, that sort of sort of stuff, like gospel leaning into people. So the bridge Battersea has the Monday prayer breakfast. Uh, I was just out there doing some filming for revive and they're providing Bible study, but also coupling it with the food bank mm. and sort of providing an actual physical service for the community as well as, as well as solid Bible teaching and a chance to get together there. Yeah. I think that's really important, isn't it? It's not, as you say, the provision of a Sunday meeting to which people can attend. There is the desire to want to live in the Doddington estate, get to know the people of the Doddington estate and begin to love them well Mm. um, in order that there might be opportunities to share the gospel and for them to become Christians. In the story of Tomo, uh, which is just brilliant, um, and, and moving, really moving. The, the, the time it takes for that to happen, you know, for him to be from hardened occasional attender to being converted on his deathbed, mm. you know, or, or not, a, not a million miles away from it. Yeah. Um, going to bed clinging to Psalm 23. Just extraordinary, wonderful story. And it's the diligence of answering God's call to ministry. Yeah. And and being there for people yeah. in their rough times, through difficult circumstances, and, and, win- and constantly preaching the gospel and winning people's confidence. So, so so Tomo presumably goes from hardened skeptic, who's a little bit you know skeptical perhaps of you know, a young guy like Tom, but picks up after a while. Okay, Tom is the real deal. Mm. He's actually for me. This guy has integrity so much so that he wants to see him and call him and have a meaningful relationship with him. That doesn't happen quickly. That's not a sort of six-week plan of door knocking. No. I mean, the door knocking is, it, it's, a, it's a means to an end. And the end is the establishment of meaningful relationships where you can, you know, you can love people well, get to know them well, and have opportunity to share the good news of the gospel. Mm. You know, it's not, we haven't got a, and Tom hasn't got his kind of um, blueprint, which you just implement in, in an estate, other than the blueprint is get to know people well share Christ with them, see what the Lord does and go from there. Mm. So, so as Tom said, towards the end of the podcast, the biggest thing you can do as a listener is to get involved in prayer. Uh, if this is something that's on your heart and you're listening to this podcast mm. and it excites you for the gospel, be praying, be praying for this team, that things would get started well, that there'd be a cohesiveness among the people and that the gospel would be preached and people would be reached at Doddington. Yeah. It's worth saying too, on the financial side of things or church involvement, if you do want to get involved in that way as a listener, please do reach out. Uh, you can find Tom's details in the show notes or reach out to us at info at co-mission.org. Well, thanks for joining us on this episode. We hope it was encouraging and we hope it leaves you with lots to pray for. In the next one, we'll chat with Neil Powell from The London Project. See you next time.